A few years back, History of the Saints began production of seven seasons of a documentary television series titled History of the Saints. Season one, Foundations of the Restoration. Season two, Joseph Smith's Kirtland. Season three, From Pentecost to Persecution, the Missouri Years. And season four, Joseph Smith's Nauvoo. Then three more seasons telling the story of Brigham Young and the Saints, beginning with the Nauvoo Exodus in 1846, titled Gathering to the West. Then Building Zion. And finally, The Kingdom Endures. Altogether, over 100 hours of Latter-day Saint pioneer history. For these and all of History of the Saints books and DVD products, visit us at historyofthesaints.org. Welcome to the History of the Saints podcast. My name is Glenn Rawson, series host. What you are about to listen to is an episode about the documentary history of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This episode is one of more than 250 presentations from 1805 and the birth of Joseph Smith the Prophet through 1877 and the death of Brigham Young. This series interviews some of the finest scholars of our time and presents the latest in historical research and facts as it relates to early Latter-day Saint history. And it comes from the long-running, highly acclaimed television documentary series, History of the Saints. If you have a desire to learn the history in depth and detail, then this podcast is for you. Thank you for joining us. I soon found out the reason why I had received such strict charges to keep them safe. No sooner was it known that I had them than the most strenuous exertions were used to get them from me. Multitudes were on the alert continually to get them from me. Joseph Smith, Jr. Joseph and Emma Hale Smith were married January 18, 1827. Immediately after, they went to Manchester, New York to live with Joseph's parents. The family prepared quarters for them and life went on. Sometime after that, Joseph was late coming home one night. In fact, he was three hours late and the family was worried. When he finally came in, he looked exhausted. His father asked him where he had been. Joseph didn't answer. His father pressed, and finally Joseph looked up, smiled, and said, I have taken the severest chastisement in my life. Well, that made Father Smith angry. Who would presume to chastise his son? And he said so. And then Joseph said, Stop, Father, stop. It was the angel of the Lord. He said that the time for the record to be brought forth had come, and that I must be up and doing. Accordingly, just after midnight, September 22nd, 1827, Joseph and Emma went to the hill called Cumorah. Lucy, in her memoir, gives us all kinds of clues that she is so nervous. They all know about the ultimatum. I think Joseph Knight knew about it, so much so that he had come up from his home in southern New York. He had driven 100 miles or so with Josiah Stoll in their wagon to come and be there that night. They typically came about this time of year and made some arrangements to buy grain and so on. But they're there on a very specific night, hoping to find out all of the exciting details about what's going to go on with the angel and the record. So 
Even so, the men seem a little bit oblivious. Maybe this is because Lucy's writing the story, or maybe it's because men sometimes are a bit oblivious, but Joseph Knight, Josiah Stoll, Joseph Smith Sr., they all seem to go to bed and rest comfortably, thinking that tomorrow's the big day. Tomorrow, Joseph Smith will go for the plates. Lucy says she's up almost all night working, mostly to try to busy her hands because she's anxious beyond her ability to cope almost, because she knows that today's the day, meaning as soon as it turns midnight, it's the day. And she knows that Joseph and Emma have left the house together, Emma in her riding clothes. They've taken Joseph Knight's wagon and horse, and they've gone. So Lucy says she's up nearly all the night. Emma waited at the base and said that she offered prayer there while Joseph Smith went up on the hillside short of the top on the west side, on the northwest side, and there he met with the angel who gave him final instructions as to his course of action. Then he secreted the plates in a birch log going back because he was aware that certain people knew and uh, were aware of the, and were watching. Uh, if he made any, any movements, they seemed to be under, understand that there was something about to happen. Joseph has the breastplate and what we call the Yerman Thumb on the interpreters uh, with him that he's covered with a silk cloth as they go back down and get into Joseph Knight's carriage and, and return home. Well, it was customary that time for the man to drive the carriage, which means that Emma would have been holding that breastplate and interpreters on her lap, covered you know, with the cloth as they go back. She's had this very personal uh, interaction uh, with, the, with this as they return uh, to uh, Joseph's parents' home. When night got, got up before light, he didn't see his wagon, and he was very bothered by it. And Joseph and Emma came uh, after that realization and Lucy Smith said, we, we'll, we'll search your wagon. We know that where horses go around here. Don't worry about it. And she was very agitated and worried because Joseph and Emma had not returned. So he comes back to the house with nothing to show for it, as far as Lucy can tell just by looking at him. And so she's very upset, and she goes to the back of the house. And her history tells us that Joseph comes after her and says, Mother, everything's okay. Don't be upset. Look, I've got a key, he says. And he puts into her hands a cloth covering, and she says that she feels it, and through it she can feel these hard objects, triangular-shaped, smooth stones in something like old-fashioned spectacles, she says. So this pair of big glasses with, with very thick lenses that are the, the seer stones that Moroni has given to Joseph Smith. And then according to Joseph Knight's history, Joseph has a little fun. And I think this is indicative of, of the... Um, I think this is indicative of the stress level for Joseph Smith, which has just gone down a lot overnight. <laughs> now that he finally has the plates, he's sort of back to his native cheery temperament. There was very little joking around or messing around with him in those four years. Now he's got the plates. So he sits down at the table in the morning with Joseph Knight, and he buries his face in his hands and says, I'm so disappointed. I'm so disappointed. And Joseph Knight knows that he had an ultimatum. If he didn't get the plates last night, he's not going to get them. And so he tries to console Joseph Smith and tell him it'll be okay. And, and Joseph pretty soon uh, can't 
conceal it anymore. And he says to Joseph Knight, they are marvelous. I can see anything. Speaking of the Urim and Thummim. Joseph now has in his possession the gold plates, the breastplate, and the Urim and Thummim. What he doesn't have is a box, something to put the plates in to keep them out of sight. So he goes to Macedon to dig a well to earn money for that box. He had the Urim and Thummim with him, and uh, he discerned that uh, there was a problem. And Joseph Smith Sr. also went over to the chase farm nearby where some men were gathered and telling how they were going to search the area and find those plates. And he reported that home, and there was consternation. But Lucy tells how calm Emma was. She said, Emma, essentially, aren't you excited and worried? And she said, I don't think so. If God has called him to have those plates, he's going to support him and protect those plates. And the family decided that they wanted to send Emma to Joseph over to the next town, which would be about five miles away. Joseph kept the Urim and Thummim consistently about his person, and he could by this means ascertain at any moment whether the plates were in danger. Having just looked into them before Emma got there, he perceived her coming and came up out of the well and met her. When she informed him of the situation, he told her that the record was perfectly safe for the present. However, he concluded to go home with her and told Wells that his business at home made it necessary for him to return. Lucy Max Smith. Upon arriving home, Joseph went immediately into the woods to retrieve the plates. It is daylight uh, when he's doing this, as near as we can tell. But he, he leaves the road, he's you know cutting across the fields and the woods and, and whatnot. But three times he is attacked, somebody trying to get the plates as he's bringing them home. And he fights them off, hits the last guy so hard that he dislocates his thumb, finally gets to the house, panting and dripping sweat and exhausted. The plates weighed, according to Martin Harris, he said between 40 and 50 pounds. Joseph was a big, muscular man, but uh, to have a dead weight of 40 or 50 pounds and run is another question. He came up to the to the house and handed them in the window. He didn't even want to open the door. And the family took those plates wrapped in a tow frock. Tow was the roughest uh, canvas type uh, knitting that, that the farmers used for work aprons. And uh, the, the family handed the plates around. We have a, a three, including Lucy and William Smith, that described this. And they always believed in the plates. They always believed in the Book of Mormon. Now, the accounts vary, but those plates probably weigh between 40 and 60 pounds. Now, from those accounts, what else do we know about the gold plates? That stone box held within it, it was large enough to hold the plates, which were approximately 6 by 6 by 8 inches, along with a large three rings that are shaped in a D. And, those, and the D was a large, and they bound the pages together. 
and the plates themselves, uh, two-thirds of them were covered with metal. Now, this metal was most likely copper. We have an, an account that describes that that large metal casing, not just straps around the bottle, bottom, was green. And if you oxidize copper, it turns green. So you have this oxidized copper and this green-looking almost stone that's the bottom with plates sitting on top bound with those D rings. And then within those, you also had the breastplate, which was designed to hold the urimum thummum, or the spectacles, and, the, and it had a one single arm that would come right off of the, the, the plate as it sat on a person's chest and hold the, the, the spectacles. And the spectacles had a, a figure eight metal piece that held two seer stones together. Those seer stones in particular were described as diamonds. They were described as clear, um, translucent. This box would later be found at the bottom of the hill, and the money diggers even went and looked at this box. David Whitmer explained that he was convinced that the plates were real before he ever even met Joseph Smith because he went and spoke with he went and spoke with the money diggers. And the money diggers had actually gone to the hill and found that box, and they knew the box existed. And this was a testimony to Minnie and Paul and Myra that Joseph Smith had the gold plates and the gold plates existed. This is an interesting fact. Many people would argue for the rest of Joseph's life and through the 19th century and even today that the gold plates did not exist and that it was an, he was an imposter. He was a faker. Where in fact the earliest uh, known uh, accounts from Palmyra residents had no question whether the plates existed. They knew they existed because they had seen this very intricate stone box that Joseph Smith finally pulled that boulder off and saw inside of that box that Moroni had created. A few years back, History of the Saints began production of seven seasons of a documentary television series titled History of the Saints. Season one, Foundations of the Restoration. Season two, Joseph Smith's Kirtland. Season three, From Pentecost to Persecution, the Missouri Years. And season four, Joseph Smith's Nauvoo. Then three more seasons telling the story of Brigham Young and the Saints, beginning with the Nauvoo Exodus in 1846, titled Gathering to the West, then Building Zion, and finally, The Kingdom Endures. Altogether, over 100 hours of Latter-day Saint pioneer history. For these and all of History of the Saints books and DVD products, visit us at historyofthesaints.org. When Joseph took the plates into his hands at this time, the angel of the Lord stood by and said, Now you have got the record into your own hands, and you are but a man. Therefore you will have to be watchful and faithful to your trust, or you will be overpowered by wicked men, for they will lay every plan and scheme that is possible to get them away from you. And if you do not take heed continually, they will succeed. Lucy Max Smith. So what you have then sort of becomes a kind of a cat and mouse game. Um, this is this is you know September, early October, and he's he's got the plates at home, but absolutely no peace and quiet in which to translate them. Um, his whole energy regarding the plates is just keeping them safe. 
hides them in various places. We've got you know great accounts where they're under the hearth for a time. When they get discovered there, he hides them under some flax in a little loft across the road, and that area gets ransacked, and it's just one thing after another. And ultimately, he ends up getting shot at. And it's kind of at that point where I think he realizes that if if he's going to translate the plates, if he's going to be around even to translate the plates, he's going to have to get out of there. The persecution became so intolerable that I was under the necessity of leaving Manchester and going with my wife to Susquehanna County in the state of Pennsylvania. Joseph Smith Jr. Emma's brother Alva is asked to come up and bring them down. It's going to save them a bit of money. Uh, they're in debt uh, by quite a bit, and um, it, they'll need to have money to get down. It looks like they need about $50 to take care of all the debts and the costs to go, go down. Um, they're trying to uh, raise that money in a tavern there in uh, Palmyra. It's customary at that time to hold little sales in, the, in taverns where you can sell used furniture at auctions and things. Other things. So uh, they may be trying to sell some things or something. Uh, Emma's brother Alva's there with them. Martin Harris comes in and he offers Joseph $50 to help him to go down and cover his debts and, and cover his costs. And Joseph wants to give Martin a note, you know, to borrow that to cover his other debts and then pay Martin off later. Martin gives it free and clear, so Joseph uh, then has all the money he needs to move. Joseph packed up his belongings and... Uh, in a wagon, and he and Emma, probably went, probably Samuel with them, went to Harmony. And it was winter. They were even stopped and searched by the sheriff. And the plates, according to Orson Pratt, were in a barrel of beans. That the sheriff didn't. It didn't occur to the sheriff to tackle that one. When Joseph came with the plates, Isaac Hale himself says in his affidavit, I told Joseph if the plates were in the box, he should take them elsewhere because I wasn't going to have something I couldn't see in my house. (laughs) That's probably a predictable reaction, but probably not a a very good rule for a father-in-law. I was informed they had brought a wonderful book of plates down with them. I was shown a box in which it is said they were contained. I was allowed to feel the weight of the box, and they gave me to understand that the book of plates was then in the box, into which, however, I was not allowed to look. I informed him that if there was anything in my house of that description which I could not be allowed to see, he must take it away. If he did not, I was determined to see it. After that, the plates were said to be hid in the woods. Isaac Hale. Isaac Hale said, there are no secrets in my house. And so Joseph had to move. He moved into a home which already existed, which was moved onto the site. But Isaac Hale made a business arrangement, a sale for Joseph for 13 acres there on his property. And uh, it was there uh, that uh, Joseph uh, began to uh, to make uh, uh, sketches of the of the characters on the the Book of Mormon. From the accounts we have with Joseph Smith, it's in harmony where he first begins to translate the plates, where he finally has 
some peace and some quiet and some safety where where he can see uh, what it is that he's got there. While Joseph's trying to figure out how to translate these plates and what to do, copying characters, translating uh, some of those characters into words, Emma helps him as a scribe, and her brother Reuben helps in this process. And Emma says that one day while she's cleaning the kitchen, the plates are in the kitchen covered with a tablecloth. I once felt the plates as they thus lay on the table, tracing their outline and shape. They seem to be pliable like thick paper and would rustle with metallic sound when the edges were moved by the thumb. Emma Smith. Emma's pregnant and expecting uh, their first child, a son, as they'll find out later on. And she's trying to do a lot of heavy work, maintain the household, serve as a scribe. Uh, Her cousin, Elizabeth Lewis, comes to help her out in the house and do household work for her while she's trying uh, to accomplish all these things. It was February 1828 when Martin Harris came from New York to Harmony to meet Joseph. The Smith family had made a friend of Martin Harris while uh, digging uh, a well on the Martin Harris farm, Father Smith and his sons had talked about what Joseph was doing. And Martin Harris was very interested and became a friend of the family. And when Joseph first brought in the plates, uh, he was alerted. Joseph uh, sent Mother Smith to, to talk to him, and he came over and and talked to Joseph. And uh, while Joseph was away, interviewed the family to see if they were all telling the same story. Uh, which they were. The Lord appeared unto him in a vision, and shewed unto him his marvelous work which he was about to do. And he immediately came to Susquehanna, and said the Lord had shown him that he must go to New York City with some of the characters. So we proceeded to copy some of them, and he took his journey to the eastern cities, and to the learned, Joseph Smith, Jr. We assume that he took a stagecoach, because that's probably how they rode in the wintertime. Uh, or slaves in some of the uh, byways and travelways of upstate New York and will embark upon a most fascinating expedition to the east. And we're going to stop off at where most stagecoaches did stop off on their travels from Palmyra down to New York, and that was going to be at Albany, the state capital. Now this we have learned from research that we've recently completed that Martin Harris will visit at least three linguists, what I'm calling wise men of the East. And that is where we begin in our next episode, Martin Harris and the Three Wise Men of the East. I'm Glenn Rawson, and we'll see you then. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information on what you have listened to, please go to historyofthesaints.org. The History of the Saints team that produced this podcast has also produced numerous books and full-length documentaries on early Latter-day Saint church history and the key figures that made that history. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time. This podcast of History of the Saints has been produced by Dennis Lyman and Glenn Rawson. History of the Saints is a 501c3 nonprofit organization.